courses are meant to be a vehicle that takes someone from point A to point B using a framework, a guide or a system that has been proven to work, not just with one person, but with multiple people. It's like a recipe. It needs to work many times, not just one time, if you want a successful course, that is. And so I think that, again, people are missing that point where just because you create something doesn't mean that it's magically going to sell. You have to get it in front of the right people. Again, that's a traffic problem. So if you don't have enough traffic, you will not sell your course. If you don't have the right offer, you're not going to sell your course. If you don't have the right messaging, it's not going to sell. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back for episode 114 with special guest Alan Yin. The title is Marketing Mindsets and Strategies to Build Your Services Business. As you're going to hear, Ellen is an entrepreneur. Her company is called Cubicle to CEO. And she quit her job just a number of years ago and decided never again, not going to work for anybody else, that she's going to dive into entrepreneurship, but actually, as you'll hear, sort of stumbled into it more than made a decision. It started with a $300 project, and within a couple of years, she had built a seven-figure business. And now she helps other people grow their businesses, especially services businesses. She's going to talk a lot about mindset, the marketing mindset the three key elements of your marketing system and the strategies that need to go with them. Ellen is here to bring some sharp focused wisdom into the tsunami of social media and digital marketing experts. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. My word today is thrilled, thrilled because we're going to talk about money today. And actually, we don't talk about money a lot. We do talk about it, but this today is going to be about income generation, right, Ellen? Yes, I'm excited. All so right. Got, we have Ellen Yen with us today. She is the founder. I love this company name. From The founder of Cubicle to CEO. It's an online membership that helps entrepreneurs who sell their services, make their first $10,000 a month without lots of large audiences or posting every day. She's been on a lot of shows. She's been on the Today Show with Hoda and Jenny. A lot of publications, Authority Magazine, Data Bird Business Journal. She's got a great story. She has now worked with over 7,000 entrepreneurs and different brands. And her backstory, which we'll hear a bit in a moment, has started, left her job, said never again, no more resumes, <laughs> 300 bucks, and turned it into a seven-figure business. So we're going to learn some of the secret sauce today from Ellen Yin. So welcome, Ellen. Hey, thank you so much, Jeff, for that kind intro. And Craig, it's great to be here with you guys. So uh, my name is Ellen, as, as Jeff just mentioned, and I will just give you a brief, a brief background of my story. So my jump into entrepreneurship was very much of an accidental journey. I'm sure a lot of you listening can relate to that. 
So I left my corporate marketing job uh, at the very end of 2017. I think it was like three days before Christmas. And I had no idea what the next step was after that for me. Honestly, at the time, I thought I was going to move to a bigger city um, and continue applying for marketing jobs. And I had no intention of starting a business. But what ended up happening is during that month of January and early February, when I was applying for jobs, I actually ended up reconnecting with a colleague at the company that I had left. And you know, he was a project manager there. So we had worked on some teams for, for different uh, projects within that company. However, him and his wife also were local business owners and they owned two coffee stands on the side. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't know a lot about social media marketing. They heard through the grapevine that I knew a thing or two about Instagram <laughs> marketing. And so they reached out and said, you know, hey, we'd love to have a conversation with you about what you could do to help us get more local business through, uh, through social media. And so they became my very first client. You know, mm -hmm. it was it was not anything life changing. It was a three hundred dollar project. I probably did <laughs> way too much in terms of scope of work for that yeah. for that amount. But what it really gave me was it instilled this belief in me, or maybe even not a belief, but just this awareness in me that I had a skill that I could monetize and that I could go out and get more clients and secure bigger accounts and continue doing this on my own rather than having to apply for jobs. And so that's what I did. I, I kind of just continued on this path. And here we are, you know, over three years later. And like Jeff mentioned, we have surpassed $1 million in, in lifetime revenue. And it all started with that $300 project. So <laughs> that's awesome. So <laughs> is it cheating that you, you started off in marketing and so you created a marketing company, so it's easier for you to market, or do you find that a lot of your clients come from a variety of different backgrounds? That's a great question. Um, so of course, you know, having a background in marketing and my professional career was always in marketing. So having that skill set, you know, equipped me to actually have the experience and the knowledge to help my clients. So certainly it did help me create results. And early on, it also really helped with word of mouth referrals because obviously gotcha. when you have happy clients, they want to tell their friends about it. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> so I, I would say that what I love about the people I work with, and these days, you know, I our company is is really primarily an education company. So we, like like uh, Jeff mentioned, we have over seven thousand students between different DIY courses and our online membership. Um, but the first two years of our business was primarily more service based, focused on one on one, done for you type of clients through our agency. And regardless of the company, whether you know, whether I'm working with someone who is literally in their first month of business or some of our past clients have been global billion dollar brands. The, the key, uh, I guess, what is it? The key, the key thing they all share in common is that none of them got into business because they want to be professional marketers, right? Mm -hmm. Unless, unless yeah. like the few people who are actually like social media managers or other marketing consultants wanting to grow their business, then yes, that's true for them. But most business owners, they they want to focus on serving their customers and clients in their zone of genius, not on spending all day on social media, trying to grow their businesses. And so that's kind of where we come in and, and help them bridge that gap and show them how to build a simple system for attracting clients rather than feeling like they have to slave away all of their time <laughs> on marketing. Right. So Ellen, I, I always like to ask this question early on. 
entrepreneurs, business owners, especially those that sell services, they're all looking for the secret sauce. <laughs> and and sometimes there's a secret sauce, sometimes there's not, but they also typically have their own obstacles that trip them up, which yeah. is a lot about mindset. Totally. So I'm curious, how much of your work with the entrepreneurs is about tools and how much tools and process and how much is about mindset shows? That's such a great question. I think that both are a necessity. I do agree with you, Jeff, that mindset more often than not will be the greater obstacle in someone achieving success rather than skill set. Um, you know, skill set, I always say it's it's very easy to learn new things. I think we're, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you are naturally <laughs> going to be a lifelong learner. Yeah, more if curious. Not, yes, more curious, exactly, by nature. However, implementation is where a lot of people get stuck and a lot of implementation has to do with mindset has to do with how willing you are to show up to be new at things to honestly suck at a lot of things <laughs> to, to fail to embarrass yourself um, put yourself out there face rejection there's there's a lot of mindset stuff um, that happens in that so we, we do focus on both aspects in um, in our teaching because I feel like you can't really have one without the other. So it's interesting uh, when you look at the way you add value to your clients, uh, Ellen, my guess is many of them come to you, whether they say it out loud or not, saying, I don't like sales. I don't think I'm good at sales. I just want my, my service is so amazing. I don't know why everybody's not buying it. <laughs> Help me. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm guessing you hear that pretty regularly. And What's the core response to that in terms of what you provide them with? Yeah, that, that is a very common fear uh, in entrepreneurs. And what's interesting is it's, it's true for entrepreneurs, whether they're at the very beginning of their business, or oftentimes I meet people who are a decade into their business and they still very much have mindset issues around sales or, or fear it in some way. And I think the reason that that is, is because we've been conditioned either by our own experiences with bad salespeople or, or just like what we've been told that sales has to be aggressive and pushy. And it's almost like you're trying to force someone into a decision or push something on someone that they don't actually want or need. And the way I like to help my students reshift their perspective around selling is I always say that selling when it's done right should be a collaboration, not a coercion. And so really, I, I try to help people shift their perspective of themselves from salespeople to guides. And I always tell them, it is not on you to tell people what they need to do or to decide for them. Your only role is to ask the right questions. So you should really be listening more than you talk. Mm -hmm. you asking the right questions and giving them the information that they need to feel empowered to make the right decision for them. And sometimes through the course of a conversation, you will realize that what you have to offer your service or your product is actually not the right solution to the problem that this potential client has. And in that case, it is actually of service for you to refer out or to say, actually, you shouldn't buy from me because this is not going to actually get you the results that yeah. you want. And so I think if you can start looking at selling as an act of service, it's going to totally change uh, how you approach any conversations. 
So a couple questions come to mind, Ellen, especially in the space you're in. And some of this is coming from my own experience. I'll throw them both together. You answer them, whatever works well. One is in the social media space, let's just say that the tsunami of COVID, I think, pales in comparison to the tsunami of claimed social media experts. (laughs) yes i mean i I, i'm just going to stop there because otherwise (laughs) i'm gonna we're gonna they're gonna like shut down our system you're being nice yeah well i just said it that was enough i if you can't see the video i'm smiling i'm laughing like oh my god (laughs) oh my god i want to run the tsunamis coming so number one how do people start to differentiate who really knows what they're doing or not and a related question is you tout the idea this isn't about spending all day on social media, but I will tell you 95% of the time, all the input I get about social media is, Jeff, you need to spend more time there. Like, I have no, I have a business. I actually have clients to serve. What do you mean? Spend more time than I already am. So I guess those are sort of related in terms of what social, what the hell is social media all about? And how do they get through this tsunami? of claimed experts. Well, Jeff, one of your, uh, wasn't it one of your uh, suggestions that somebody said to you was spend five hours a day for the next two months on Clubhouse? They said, <laughs> we suggest you spend six hours a day for the next four weeks on Clubhouse and you'll never have to sell again the rest of your life. Well, that's pretty wow. good, <laughs> but okay. Well, I'll just stop sleeping. I'll just yeah. not sleep for three weeks. <laughs> I would argue that we never stop selling in our lives. Yes. Even if you go out of business, you never stop selling, right? Any, anytime you're having a conversation with anyone where you are trying to come to a conclusion or get them to do something, whether it's like choosing which show to watch or what to eat for dinner, you're selling <laughs> all the time. So yes. um, <laughs> selling your ideas, everything. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Let me answer the first question. I totally get where you're coming from with, what you're saying that tsunami of like experts that come out of the woodworks and they're like i i i can teach you the the secret to whatever it is i think just like in in health and wellness people are always trying to buy the secret pill right the the magic key that unlocks everything and and they're truly i truly truly believe that there is no such thing in in marketing either And really, it comes down to understanding that every single business, no matter what industry you're in or what type of business model you have, the three elements of a successful marketing system are that you have to have a traffic generator, a leads generator, and a sales generator. And you have to understand what works well for your business and really fine-tune that. And I don't think it's about going broader and jumping on every single new platform that comes on. Like Clubhouse, for example, you mentioned awesome platform, really innovative in what they're doing, but not every single person needs to be on Clubhouse. And just because it's popular and just because it's working for other people does not mean that you should also now spend your time on that platform. You need to be a lot more strategic. So I would say when you're looking at experts, there's a difference between someone who says, Hey, like my personal Instagram gets a lot of likes and, you know, I I'm young and I can post like, you know, I can post for you every day. That is very different from an expert who actually has strategy, right? One right. is more task rabbit. The other person is someone who can guide you on how to take someone along that customer journey. And so 
asking the right questions, I think is really important in, in finding the right expert, but also to your latter point of the advice that we've all been told about spending more time on social media, being consistent. I think a lot of gurus mean well when they say like, be consistent, be consistent. I think, however, where the problem lies is that we have applied consistency in the wrong area. Meaning a lot of people believe that in order to be consistent on social media, they need to consistently post on social media. And more importantly, that they need to post every day on as many platforms as possible, repurpose all the content, be everywhere, be omnipresent, right? And unless you are literally trying to be like a media company or someone with a really large personal brand and presence, um, if you're in a service-based business, especially, which are the primary demographic that I serve, you are not in the game of wanting to, you're not in the game of needing, I should say, a thousand new leads or clients every month, right? It would be physically impossible for you to even serve them if you're providing a one-on-one service, unless you have an, like a massive team on the back end for delivery. So really you're in the game of trying to land a few high quality clients each month. And so your consistency, rather than trying to post every single day, if you have a tiny audience to begin with, the way that I like to describe it, I, I do this billboard analogy where I basically say, okay, if you imagine your social media account, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, pretend it's like this deserted road. Because if you have very few <laughs> followers, that's basically what you have, right? Like you have very little traffic. So if every single time you make a new post on social media, you imagine yourself putting up a billboard, ask yourself, if my account has two cars that drive past it every day, and I put up 1000 billboards, is my business going to grow any faster than if I had two billboards, but I spent my energy and time focusing on driving more cars past those two billboards? See the difference? And so I really think the consistency needs to be applied on connecting and getting in front of your ideal clients online where they already hang out and driving traffic to your existing best quality content rather than trying to post every day for the sake of checking off a box and saying, yep, I was consistent. Well, I I really like that actually. (laughs) And that answer about the billboards, I love the metaphor and it really also speaks to my big objection to billboards and that there's so many billboards or bus signs and all these things where it says, uh, if you see this, it proves it works. And that just annoys me. (laughs) I said, (laughs) well, no, I saw that it exists. Yeah. But it doesn't get my attention, which is what this is supposed to do. And the fact I see it, just like you said, if I throw out content, it's there and someone can go, oh, it's there. But even if they see it, is it content that actually engages them in some way and gets them to engage with me versus just, oh, it's, I saw that. It was a drive-by. Yeah. So the, the question I have, Ellen, is, it sounds like your platform, what you offer people is a wide range of deliverables. You said DIY to, to more one-on-one where they're getting actually trained and support, maybe coaching, consulting, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious because as an entrepreneur and someone who interacts with entrepreneurs, there's a lot of people who want to be DIYers. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious to me, personal opinion is, 
that's not what entrepreneurship is about. Because if you're going to be an entrepreneur, true, true entrepreneurs, the ones that I've seen be entrepreneurs, they get in and they they want to move on to the next project. They don't really want to know the whole business and do it all because then they can't have their fun. Then they're self-employed and they have a job. Yeah, They've created they have a, a job. job. So I'm just curious, what kind of mindset do you think is driving your DIYers? Because I, I guess I'm saying I want entrepreneurs and business owners to think about the impact and the cost of being a DIYer. Mm -hmm. I think there's there's a time and place for for one or the other in your in your journey, and depending on you know what your end objective is. Some people never want to build a team; they always want to be a solopreneur. They only you know have a certain vision for for what they're trying to create, and I think that that journey is very individual. However. I think even with the DIY courses, it still requires someone to make an investment of their time and their money into someone else and say, instead of me going on Google or YouTube for seven hours and watching a bunch of random videos about, I don't know, email marketing, maybe I should pay someone to learn a framework or you know a certain strategy that's already been proven to have success and shortcut my time there. And I always tell people like there is no shortcut to success, right? Like again, there's no magic key, there is no magic pill that's going to solve all your problems. However, I do absolutely think it is it is possible and important to shortcut people's mistakes. So, when you rely heavily only on yourself and your you know, ability to to scour the internet for whatever you want to find, um, I think that you are taking a really long and arduous path to get to the same result that you could easily take a more efficient path to if you chose to invest wisely in, in either programs or, you know, consulting guidance, mentorship, community, whatever that looks like for you. So absolutely. I think that, um, it's, it's really important for every entrepreneur to invest in themselves and their business. So essentially, they're hiring the course instead of hiring somebody else, and they're learning that skill themselves. Then they still have to do this, do this thing, or they can buy that course, learn it themselves, and then know more about what they're looking for when they're hiring somebody. Mm -hmm, exactly, and I I would say that you know, for example, like my signature program is a twelve month membership. I, I call it more of a mentorship, but you know, the people who come into that program, they're they're service providers, coaches, and consultants who want to make their first $10,000 a month. And they want to do it with a system that doesn't rely, again, on them posting every single day or trying to grow a large following. So we teach them our consistent client's cash flow system in that program. And what I've seen happen with a lot of our members who start to land more clients, get more income, is they eventually reach this point where they're like, oh, I've learned the system that works for me. I can go now hire a virtual assistant or some help and I can outsource what I'm already doing that Ellen's taught me to this person so that I can now focus my time on other activities. So you can learn a skill, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it forever. And I think that, you know, with most entrepreneurs, when you're starting out and you're being scrappy, you don't have a lot of resources to, to hire out everything. But if you can learn a skill, do it for the meanwhile, and then as you grow, try to delegate more and more. Mm -hmm that's how you're going to be able to scale exponentially faster. I think that's really good. And I think it is important that the person who is starting the company, you know, the entrepreneur or the entrepreneurial team 
is, is actually involved in the sales from the early stages so that they understand what the market really wants. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of iteration. You know, the first time you put an offer out there, it may bomb, right? Mm-hmm. And then you learn from that. And so if you follow kind of like Eric Reese's approach of, of the lean startup, and you're, you're looking at everything that you do as a learning opportunity, then you're, you're taking that and you're saying, okay, now I learned something from that. But eventually, like you were saying, I think you can then bring in that other help. Absolutely. And I love what you just said there. Um, Craig, with with everything being a learning opportunity, mm-hmm. I I really think that is one of the best lessons that you can instill in yourself early on is to to choose data over drama, right? To look at everything as information. That's great. It's it's just an input, and you're and you have to remove the emotion from it and look at it yeah. and say, okay, like what is this data? What is this information telling me? And how do I make data informed decisions rather than pouring, like attaching so much emotion to a result <laughs> or an outcome? Right. Uh, Ellen, you mentioned earlier, several minutes ago, you were talking about how important it is to look at three areas. Uh, you didn't call them funnels. I heard that in my head. That's not what you said. You're talking about uh, what was the first one? It was. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, in essence, it is a, a, a really simplified funnel, right? Like a traffic generator a leads generator and a sales generator. Is that what you're referring to, Jeff? Right. So we got traffic leads and sales and that's very typical, not unusual. Mm-hmm. Are, are the, what you delivering to your clients, your students, as you refer to them, is it hitting all three of those? Because for me as a service provider, I look at it as, well, I can generate traffic. I can generate leads, but ultimately if I'm selling a service, it feels like there's going to be a piece that's not automated for me. Yeah. And we don't teach uh, an automated sales funnel. Like it's not, it's not like a, oh, throw up a sales page, run Facebook ads to it and like pump out, you know, clients on the back end. There are funnels like that, that exist that may work for some people, but we're trying to, we're trying to make, uh, reaching your 10K month not feel so overwhelming and complicated. And I think, again, because people who don't invest in themselves choose to get their information from anywhere they can source free information on the internet, which is Google, YouTube, podcasts, blogs, people's email lists. If you try to piecemeal together all these random strategies, what I see when I audit a lot of people's marketing strategies, they're like, I spend, you know, 40 hours a week on marketing and I don't understand why I'm not getting clients. And then I look at their marketing strategies and I'm like, if you actually break down your marketing efforts, everything you're doing is, let's say, a traffic generator, but you don't have a reliable way of converting any of those people into leads. And once they're leads, you have no process for selling them. So of course you're not getting clients. Or maybe it's flip-flops where they're like, I have a rock solid sales system, but I have no traffic. So why is no one becoming a client? I'm like, well, no one is seeing what you have to offer. So there is no one to make a client. So you, you kind of have to have a balance, I think, of all three. And that's why I teach this system is because I want people to, to be critical thinkers and to actually look at what they're doing in their marketing and understand of the strategies I'm implementing, what is actually bringing in traffic reliably How am I getting them into leads? And once they're leads, how do I increase my conversion rates and sales? 
And understanding all three steps, I think, is the only way you're going to actually be able to look for the right data to continue optimizing. And, and I think it's better to have literally one traffic generator, one lead generator, and one sales generator when you're trying to make your first 10K yes. than trying to be everywhere doing all the things. Focus helps so much. Plus, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but also really narrowing down who your target market is so that you can speak directly to them because the message that we put out there is so important. And if we're trying to be too general, we're not connecting with anyone. Absolutely. And to that point, Craig, I will say, I think what freaks people out about niching down (laughs) when they're starting is they're like, okay, especially, okay, let's say, let's take a brand new coach, right? Let's say, I don't know, let's say you're a, a health coach. You, if you are literally at the very beginning of your business, and maybe you have only ever worked with one client, or maybe you have no clients, when someone tells you, hey, you need a niche down, that probably feels impossible because you're like, well, I don't even know who my ideal client is because I've never had one. And so I think what people are missing is that when people talk about niching down, they often think purely in terms of demographics or psychographics, like who is this client? Mm -hmm. But I actually think it is more fruitful to niche down on the transformation, on the results. Because you're right, like when you're starting out and you don't exactly know, like, do I want to work with moms? Do I want to work with teenagers? Do I want to, like, I don't know, right? right? Even if the demographic you're not clear on yet because you don't have enough experience to know which clientele your results are best, you know, catered toward, you can still niche down on the actual transformation. So if you know, no matter who I work with, the transformation that's consistent is I'm going to help you, uh, you know, I don't know, get off the, uh, the diet, the yo-yo dieting, or I'm going to help you lose 10 pounds in six months. Every single person I'm working with, that's transformation we're working on. If you niche down there, the clarity in your message is going to be magnetic to Mm. whoever your dream client is that actually wants that outcome. Such a good point. Wow. So Ellen, one thing that comes to mind is, especially in this, um, I'm going to hope you won't take offense because you're in the industry. I'm going to call it this morass of social media. <laughs> it is like okay. I said earlier. I mean, I, <laughs> it's just, and, and I, and I think it's been exacerbated by COVID. In fact, I was on a call last night and someone was taking yet another shot at coaches. And I think it's a legit shot saying, Oh my God, how many more coaches are there today? <laughs> because of all these people that lost their jobs in yeah. 2020 or, yeah, I, I don't know how to figure it out. But here's the question. So many people today are talking about digital products. Mm-hmm. You know, especially coaches and people in the realm you work with a lot. Everybody's got it in their head. All I need is this, because once I create that, the money's just going to roll into my bank account. And I saw it online the other day, and I'm going to be doing hundreds of thousand dollars a month on products. All I need is that. So can you talk to that mindset of all I need is a digital product? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I totally, totally know exactly what you're talking about. And I will, before I answer that question, Jeff, I will just say to the point of there being new coaches cropping up left and right. Right. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest thing for me is when I'm looking at hiring an expert, whether it's a coach or consultant or 
it doesn't matter, right? I, I like to look for people who are practitioners of what they teach, mm-hmm. who have actually done the thing that I'm trying to learn from them how to do. Because we yeah. all know those coaches who coach coaches on how to be coaches. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but, but, but like, where is, where is the first result, right? So like, for example, the system I teach, I don't teach that just because I magically became a course creator overnight. I, I built a multi six figure service-based business working with one-on-one clients. And only until I had done that, did I have the, I think the framework and the experience to confidently be able to teach someone else, this is how you grow a service-based business. So even though now my business is primarily courses based, it was not, that is not how I started. Um, and I think that this mentality of, oh, if I just create the thing, then something magic will happen. It's, um, what is that movie? Like the, where they say like, if you build it, they will come. What is that? Well, that's the field of dreams. Field of dreams. You build yeah. it, <laughs> okay, there you go. it will come. Yeah. That's not true. I, I don't think I don't think that's true in business. If you build it, they will they will not actually come. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a quote. There's a tagline. If you run away, unless you have just this this winning offer, this track record of of repeatable success, because truly that's what courses are about. Courses are meant to be a vehicle that takes someone from point A to point B using a framework, a guide or a system that has been proven to work, not just with one person, but with multiple people. It's like a recipe. It needs to work many times, not just one time, if you want a successful course that is. And so I think that, again, people are missing that point where just because you create something doesn't mean that it's magically going to sell. You have to get it in front of the right people. Again, that's a traffic problem. So if you don't have enough traffic, you will not sell your course. If you don't have the right offer, you're not going to sell your course. If you don't have the right messaging, it's not going to sell. There's so many different, I think, variables. And I think people need to understand that while courses can be great leverage because you create the thing one time and you can sell it over and over again without requiring more of your one-on-one time, and that's why I love programs. It is not an easy way out. It is not just like you create the thing and then all of a sudden you're a millionaire. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I, I do have a lot of clients in the in that course space as well. And you know, one one example is somebody that teaches how to clean dumpsters and park and stripe parking lots. Oh, that's he so kills it. He kills it. Wow. Right. And wow. it he had created this business, created a lot of videos, put them into courses and is and is has a following because there is a very tight niche of people who want to strike parking lots and wash dumpsters mm-hmm. and it it just works you know so it's kind of a combination of power washing and striping so <laughs> but uh it works really well for him and and then other people in a variety of different spaces so courses can work but i've also seen a lot of courses that are not selling well because people have not gotten clear about who it is that they're serving and and now i think you you really brought up a really good point they're not clear about the transformation that they provide. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. 
BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. I, I won't go into who this is. I was talking to someone recently who, if you look at where they are today in their courses, you go, oh my God. And I talked to this person. I said, wow, you're, you're killing it with this course. I mean, these numbers are amazing. And they said, yeah, we're, we're really fortunate. But they said, let's be honest about it. We've been doing this five years. And I can tell you, we were not there in the first three years. Yep. But everybody thinks that's what's going to happen. They think that you, even if you do the right things, everybody believes it's going to be a six-month thing because that's what people are selling. But said, that's incredibly rare that people hit that in a short period of time. It just, it's, there's a lot more to it. And I guess it's like the old saying, you know, if it's too good to be true, is it too good to be true? <laughs> And there's so many, we want to believe that there's no work involved. Well, Ellen, do you find that, that marketing is a matter of test and, and retest and you're, you're learning over a period of time, or do you often find those magic moments where you launch something and it's just a big hit right out of the gate? I think both are possible, right? Mm -hmm. Like nothing is impossible. However, <laughs> I think marketing as a craft or a skill is absolutely always going to be evolving. And yeah. especially if you are a digital product creator, you should always, always, always be iterating because there is no possible way, even if you come out of the gate with smashing success, that is not sustainable if you don't evolve with the times mm -hmm. or evolve with like the problems or, 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 I feel like the longer you're a course creator, the more you understand your students. Like I, yeah. I would say I'm relatively new in the course space in comparison to many of the people who have been out there doing this for five years, 10 years, 15 years. But even so, when I look back on the very first iteration I ever had of any sort of digital product, which was in, when was that? I was like early 2019. Um, and it's only been two years since then, right? A little over two years. Um, it is incredible how how unclear and how little I knew I feel like about my students then that I do mm. now. And I can only imagine that five years from now, I'll look back on today and be like, wow, you knew nothing. And so I think it's really important to be curious, to always be learning, listening. Um, and I think that iteration is a necessity in in marketing and really in business. So let me ask you a question about that, because you say that you, you know so much more about your clients now or your, your course customers. And I'm wondering how much of that is because you've created that with some live elements where you're actually interacting with them, or are you just looking at data based on you, you put something up that's recorded and you're just kind of checking stats? I think that, so one of my best selling courses, hashtag hacks, is a $27 course with no live element. There's no okay. ongoing support. There's not even a Facebook group. Um, so any data that I get from that course is purely, uh, 
either like me going into Kajabi and being like, oh, X amount of students have completed this percentage of the course, or mm -hmm. it's it, honestly, we get a lot of DMs and messages from people who are like, hey, I implemented this and this worked for me and here's screenshots and da -da -da. so it's, it's that kind of real-time feedback that has shaped how we go about that course, like questions that we get that we're like, oh, maybe that content didn't quite address it, right? So okay. let's go back and iterate. However, the rest, or not the rest of my programs, but my main program, Keepable the CEO, that membership, that one, you're right, does have live elements. I'm, I'm on live calls with my students twice a month. There's mm -hmm. a Facebook group that my coach team is always interacting in. And it has been really helpful to to see what kinds of um, questions people are asking most often and where they get mentally blocked. Because I mm, think as a course point. creator, when you're creating something for the first time, you can only create content based on the assumptions of what mm. you feel like your student needs to know in order to complete that transformation. But mm. they will often prove you wrong and they will, be, <laughs> they will be like, oh no, you thought you explained that clearly, but you made no sense. Or or like they might ask questions where like, I never even thought that would be a thing that you would think. So, you know, I, I just think that social listening aspect is so important. Yeah, great. So let me ask you one of the everybody questions, Ellen. So many people today still speaking about digital products because you, you talk about working with companies that offer services. I mean, that's the highlight, that's a focus, yet we're talking about a lot of digital products. There's so many people that say everybody needs to have digital products. What what do you say to that? I disagree with that. I think that um, you have to understand what your vision for your company is and where you think you'll make the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. And I do think that it is better to be really good at one thing and build a lot of momentum there than to try to do a bunch of things in a mediocre way. Yes. And so um, there's there's a lot of benefits of having a digital product, right? It, it can be evergreen. It can be not passive. I, I hate when people are like, oh, it's passive income. It can be residual income. I think that's <laughs> yeah. a more accurate description of what yes. that is. Um, it can be time leveraged, right? So there's there's a lot of great components of digital products. However, I have seen, I'm actually, you know, I, I work with people who have built like multi-million dollar service-based businesses and they kill it for their clients. And there would be no reason for them to ever pivot into courses because the type of work they do would not translate the same for the yeah. same quality of results if they were to package it into a course versus what they're actually doing. So I, I think it's just important to not blindly add offerings just because everyone else is doing it. I think you need to actually understand like, what are you trying to accomplish? And yeah. the big question I always ask everyone is what is going to create the best results for your dream client? What container does that look like? That should be what you build your business on. Yeah. And I would, I would say you probably also want to connect your, your different offers so that there's either some way for them to progressively get deeper and deeper into it, or that if they do need to take a branch, that's where you're going to start adding in maybe some extra things. But you really want to start with that core, just like you were talking about one lead magnet, one, one um, you know, lead conversion and one, one sales conversion. It's the same type of thing. You start basic and then you expand from there, I think. Is that what you find? 
Yeah. And, and I would even add to that, that people, I think, forget you can be very successful and even build a residual lucrative stream of revenue from being a great referral partner. So just because, just because you don't create your own course, if that's not the right offering for your people and -hmm. your business, if you find that your, you know, your value ladder, your natural customer journey or ascension model ends at a certain point where it would make sense for your customer to now branch off somewhere else. And you don't want to create an offering around that. Go find someone who, who has exactly what that next step for your customer would be and see if you can become an affiliate partner with them because so good. that is such a great way for you know you to build residual income without having to do any of the back-end delivery. Yeah. And if you have a list, it's easy. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of promoting something that you believe in. Yep. And uh, I've, I've seen affiliates do very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we get near the end here, Ellen, we talked a lot about different things and different mindsets and tools and processes. If someone's in a business, it's a service business. That tends to be the focus of your work. What are the top two or three things they need to think about when it comes to the, the kind of value you add? You may be the best solution for them. Sometimes you're not, I'm like all cases. But what are the top two or three things they need to be thinking about to move forward in the growth of their business? I think you need to, uh, one thing that I see a lot of service providers don't do well is they don't understand the language that their ideal clients are speaking, <laughs> right? They, they, they see everything through the perspective of their expert eyes and they create solutions around what they believe the client needs. And they talk about it in a way that does not resonate with their ideal client. Um, also, a lot of service providers naturally are very vehicle focused, right? They're like, I love this project management system and this project management system is going to change your life. Or like, I really think that everybody needs, you know, to do the keto diet or like whatever it is. But they forget that their ideal client really could care less about the vehicle at all, right? They nobody nobody buys a plane ticket to sit on a plane. They they, they <laughs> buy the ticket because they want to go on vacation to Hawaii, right? So yeah. like I think you have to understand that about your client and really, really get crystal clear on the messaging using their words, their vernacular, their verbiage. And so that that is by far and away, you need, you need market research. I don't care if you've been in business for 20 years, you should always be doing market research. You should always be hearing the way that people describe their problems and what they want. Because even if you were literally talking about the exact same thing as your client, if you express it in even slightly different wording than they do, it's not going to land. And so market research and messaging is number one. And I think where a lot of other service providers struggle is the pricing piece and um, chronic overcharging, chronic uh, lack of boundaries, which results in scope creep and resentment towards their clients and all these different things. And I think you you need to understand how to price based on value and not just time. I think a lot of service providers, maybe it's 
a remnant of like the employee mindset where it's like, if it takes me three hours to complete this project and I want my hourly rate to be X, then I'm going to charge, you know, I don't know, let's say you wanted your hourly rate to be $100 an hour. You're like, I'm going to charge $300 for this project because it takes me three hours. That is very much a, an employee mindset. And I would try to get out of it as fast as possible and really try to understand like, what is the value of the outcome that I'm giving my client? And what is that worth to them Mm. in money? Because that's what you should be charging. And if you're getting a lot of price objections, it means you're not doing a very good job of positioning your value. It has very little to do, I think that with the fact that your pricing is too expensive, which, (laughs) which is what people, most people immediately resort to is they're like, let me just discount the service. That's, that's not. Yeah, no. (laughs) Let me let me ask you one more follow up to that about pricing, and that's probably a whole nother topic. But when it comes to the digital side, I think you know a lot of times people make pricing decisions based upon what they've seen from others. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious because I could see getting caught up in that and saying, "Well, I did this program and it was X, and so therefore mine would be at least X." but I'm also maybe doing the high-end program. And so like, I, I get this as a complex question potentially, but how much should people be looking at like this comparison thing of others with maybe it's the top dogs in the field versus trying to fit, you know, their, their own business model. Well, I want to make X. So if I want to sell a hundred of these, then it needs to be this much each to make X, which is not really customer focused either. So that was not a very good question. Let me reframe it this way. <laughs> what are a couple of key things for people to look at when it comes to pricing? So looking at how your competitors price their products, if we're talking about like digital courses, right? Uh, is certainly a factor you can consider, but it definitely should not be the thing that you rely on or base purely your pricing off of. And so I think it comes down to a few things. Um, what I What I just mentioned with, with value and understanding what is this transformation worth to my end customer. And because everything at the end of the day is an exchange of some form of currency, whether it's time, money, or energy, right? So if you ask yourself, based on the outcome that they'll have when they complete this course, how am I adding either time, money, or energy back into their life? And at what degree? Because the greater the scope and the greater the urgency of the problem you solve for someone, the higher the price you can charge. That's my like one sentence rule about pricing. And so I think that's most important to consider. Um, I think also that the market will tell you what it's willing to pay for. So you can put an offer out there and based on the data that you get back, you can figure out the leaks. Like, is it a messaging problem? Is my pricing actually spot on, but my messaging is way off and that's why people don't want to buy this? Or is it actually the pricing that's the problem? And I, and I may need to tweak that. So I think that pricing is a, is a complex uh, thing, but I don't, I don't think that you should necessarily purely base pricing off of what other people have done because your offer may look very, very different and you mm-hmm. may be serving a completely different person and your method may be different. So it's just not a fair comparison, I think. Well, I'm sure that is a much longer discussion and, uh, and th- that can go on for a while because it is complex. And uh, But you've shared so many really good ideas. And I say that from someone who gets very confused by this space and feel overwhelmed by the space. 
Uh, I have some new ways to look at it, and I'm sure our listeners do as well. So thank you for that, Ellen. Uh, Ellen, is there anything in particular you want to promote or highlight for you or your business today? Yeah, well, thank you so much just for the opportunity to come and speak to your community. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you guys, if any of you listening are service providers, coaches, or consultants who have not yet made your first $10,000 a month, and you want to learn how to do that in what I call a marketing minimalist way. So one that does not require you to run on the content hamster wheel till you die or obsess over growing your followers when you really could care less about being like an influencer online, right? If you want to learn how to do it a different way, uh, I have a free masterclass that goes over my system and the top three mistakes that I see most service providers making. And you can access that as an on-demand training um, at ellenyen.com slash get clients. And then if you're, you know, already a podcast lover, we'd love for you to come hang out with us on our show. I host the Cubicle, the CEO podcast, and we release new episodes every Monday. So we'd love for you to come, come subscribe, take a listen. And other than that, if you just want to chat with me, um, I am most active on Instagram. So if you send me a DM at Miss Ellen Yin, I'd love to hear what's on your mind. What was your favorite takeaway and continue the conversation there. Uh, kudos to you, Ellen, for creating a masterclass versus a fake webinar. (laughs) I hate fake scarcity, fake lives. Like I think people discredit the intelligence of a lot of their consumers. (laughs) And it's like, look, this is a recorded training. Okay. I am not there. You're watching this at 2 a.m. There's no way I'm live. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the other side of the world. It's it's five for me. (laughs) But I promise you that there is there is so much value in that one hour training. And yeah. yes, you know, I'm very transparent. Yes. At the end, I will invite you to come consider our membership. If you feel like the method that I go over yeah. is the right fit for you, but it is not one of those, uh, trainings where I spend 45 minutes <laughs> that story of like how I became so successful. I literally maybe spend, if you time me, I think it's literally one minute talking about myself. At gotcha. all. So, yeah. Great. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, Ellen. And uh, we'll just wrap up with a single question. You've shared a lot of wisdom today. So I'm going to go with the book. What is the book that people need to check out? Ooh, so I'm going to break the rule. I'm going to share two books. One is one I'm reading right now. And one is a book that I've read in the past that I think really shifted my mind about a lot of things. So uh, I'll start with the latter. I would recommend reading um, Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. And I loved this book because it taught me the difference between letting your schedule and your business be run by other people's urgencies mm. and instead focusing on what is the significance of a particular task or project. Um, I think a lot of times we think about prioritizing things in terms of, is this urgent and is this important? But Rory kind of introduces this third element of, is this significant? Meaning, even if it is important and it is urgent, if you complete it today, does it only matter today or does this actually add back time and income into your business in a year, five years, 10 years from now? So blew my mind there. Love that book. Um, And a book I'm reading right now is one that just came out. I, I think I only have it because I like pre-ordered it, but uh, it's We Should All Be Millionaires by uh, Rachel Rogers. Um, and this book is definitely more geared toward specifically women and, and you know, increasing our economic power. 
through businesses and through, through building wealth. Um, but there's so much in there about money mindset that I think applies to every human being. So even if, even if that's maybe not a book you would typically read, I think if you struggle with money mindset issues in any capacity Mm. that you should absolutely read this book. Right. Well, thank you for that, Ellen. And I would add to the audience, if you're asking yourself that question, do you struggle with money mindset issues? The answer is you do. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I've learned that a lot of people say, no, no, I don't have any issues. Oh yeah. Yeah. And when you find it, that's an onion. You better bring some goggles. When you <laughs> Blind that spot. <laughs> yes. So trust. Yes. You've got some and that's, I have them. So thank you, Alan. Thanks so much for sharing. And to me, simplifying what can be a very com- complex and potentially overwhelming topic. I know everyone listening to this is going to walk away with some new ideas and hopefully check out your master class. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Bye. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.